Amen. Let us turn to Genesis chapter 49, please. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49, and we're going to read from the verse 22. Genesis chapter 49, the verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hit at him. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be in the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Amen. We know that God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts. Let us bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we come into your holy presence. We thank you so much for the word of God. As we examine your word, think about it, meditate upon it. We pray that your voice will be heard. I pray the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Verse 22 of Genesis 49 says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a whale whose branches run over the wall. The dominating theme of the life of Joseph is fruitfulness. Last Sunday, we had a very sad sermon. I think of all of the characters we have considered, Rachel is undoubtedly the saddest and the most tragic in in many ways. Of course, she didn't lose her soul. She went from a a sad life into the presence of God. So, from that perspective, perhaps Esau is more tragic. But there is such a sadness for Rachel, and we really feel for her the, the disappointments she had, the bitterness she felt in her heart that she found it hard to escape from. But yet, we think of the life of that woman, that woman whose life was snatched so cruelly away as she was giving birth to Benjamin. And yet, she was the mother to the greatest of the sons of Jacob. And we think of what Joseph became, and we still feel a sense of sadness for Rachel because she never got to see it all. She never got to see her son and how he would be the the savior of the whole family. Of course, she was spared some things as well. She was spared being without Joseph for all those years when the brothers had sold him into Egypt with that cruel lie that 
he was devoured by a wild beast, so she was spared that heartbreak. And so I suppose whenever we look at the tapestry of life, God makes no mistakes. But whenever Joseph was born, it was Rachel who gave him his name. It means to add. And she gave him that name in faith that God would add to her another son, but there was something very prophetic. And from that perspective, Rachel was a prophetess because she saw something of Joseph's fruitfulness, that he would be one who would be not only blessed abundantly, but that he would add blessings to others throughout his life. His life would never stop giving. He would be the vine that would never stop producing fruit. And Jacob could see that as the old man was on his deathbed. He had more good things to say for Joseph, really, than for any of his sons, with the exception of Judah, because Judah would be the one out of whom Christ would spring. But yet there is a very personal note for Joseph. He's a fruitful bough by a well. His branches are running over the wall. And there's something else about Joseph as well that makes him so fruitful. Of all of the Old Testament saints, not only was he the greatest of Jacob's sons, but of all the Old Testament saints, there is no character in my estimation who shows us Christ quite like Joseph. There's only one other man who perhaps is up there, and that's Daniel. But Joseph certainly is such an excellent and perfect picture of Christ. It is often said that David is the great picture of Christ, but David sinned and sinned tragically and terribly, brought all kinds of evil upon his family. But Joseph didn't. And we're not saying he was sinless, but he was certainly as perfect as it is possible for a sinner saved by grace to be. His life was without any outward scandal or blemish. He was the fruitful bough, indeed. Let us, first of all, notice his separation. We first meet Joseph in Genesis 37. Well, we have already met him when he was born, but the years between his birth and whenever he is 17 years of age, we don't know so much about those years. But then he is introduced in Genesis 37. And in the verse 3, you will see this, that Israel, Jacob's now called Israel, the new name, he loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And the question is asked, why did Jacob love Joseph so much? Well, there are several reasons. The standout reason is the fact that he was Rachel's son, and Rachel's eldest son, and Rachel was the love of Jacob's life. He never ceased loving Rachel, even in the years that passed by since she died. And every time he looked at Joseph and Benjamin, he was reminded of Rachel. And so she was Rachel's he was Rachel's son. But there was something else. 
Joseph was the standout character in the family. Even at 17 years of age, these other brothers were so much older. But Joseph had a character that outshone the rest. And you will notice there in the verse 2 that when the brothers are feeding the flocks, and he's with the sons of Bilhah and Silpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. No doubt they were behaving in a way that they should not have been behaving, whatever they were doing with the flocks. It wasn't good. It wasn't proper. And Joseph told his father because he could sense that what they were doing was wrong and his father needed to know. Of course, this type of thing was going to always get Joseph into trouble, as we will talk about in a few moments. But was he wrong to be so honest? We can't say that he was. He had a different character. He is distinguished in the family because of his total devotion to his father. And so there was a love here that was going both ways. Yes, Jacob loved Joseph, but Joseph loved his father more than the other brothers did. And he was absolutely and completely devoted to him. And I think the lesson we take from that is this. Here we see Christ. We are told of Christ that he was wholly harmless, undefiled. He was separate from sinners. Christ came into this world, and he stood out from the mass of humanity. He stood out even amongst the very best of men because of his character. And whatever fruitfulness we're going to have in life, it must come from Christ. As the Spirit of God flows from Christ and flows into our lives, we need to pray that we would be seen as godly men and women in this generation in which we live. And remember, he was only 17. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Do not despise your youth. Don't let others despise your youth. If God has a work for you to do, do it. Young people that are here, you can be godly where you're at, at school, at college, in the workplace, serving God, standing out from the rest, a different language, different attitude. Joseph, he stood out. We need to pray that God would help us stand out for him. But then we have his suffering. He was despised and he was detested. Now, did Jacob make some mistakes here? He probably did. We could talk a little bit about his favoritism. He had good reasons for loving Joseph, for admiring him, for giving him this coat of many colors which distinguished him in the family. He had good reasons for doing that. Perhaps... He didn't go about it with wisdom. Because we always have to be mindful of others and how they might feel. And he should have thought about Reuben and how he would feel, and he should have thought about Judah and Simeon and Levi and the rest. And if he was going to elevate Joseph, perhaps there would have been a, a better way of doing it. 
rather than just elevating him in this way. And so Jacob was partly responsible for bringing another division into his family, and Joseph had to suffer for that. This was a family that experienced division. Jacob divided from Esau. Jacob being forced to flee and to be cut off from his parents as well. The division in the family because of the marriage of Leah and Jacob and Rachel and Jacob and then these other wives coming along, Zilpah and Bilhah. And, and if you notice, it was the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah that were causing a bit of problems because they perhaps felt inferior to the others. So there was all kinds of problems going on in this family, and, and Jacob was just introducing another problem, and Joseph would suffer for it. We need to be careful about what we say, about how we treat others, and we should be very careful about bringing in division, whether it is into our own homes, our own families, or whether it is into the families of God. And whenever we say we should be mindful of others that are around and how they will take it and how they will feel, and we should be sensitive to people's feelings and emotions. Because all kinds of trouble can arise whenever we don't take stock of these things. And that is how we can see Joseph's life developing. Even these dreams that he had, bringing the sons together and bringing his brothers together and telling them that one day you're going to bow down to me. Did he have to say that? Was it of God that he should say that? Was that something that was between him and God that he should have hidden from the others? Perhaps so. I don't know. But it is certainly wrong to have a, a proud and a boastful spirit. And that's how the others saw it. Even his father saw that, although he observed the saying in verse 11. But Joseph would get wiser as he got older, and so must we all. But that does not excuse the brothers. The brothers treated Joseph in an abysmal way, putting him in that pit, leaving him to die, and then eventually coming to their senses, but selling him, and then telling the lie to Jacob. What a dreadful action it was, the suffering of Joseph. The brothers could have said, oh, it's the father's fault. They could have said, Oh, he shouldn't have been so proud and boastful. There was no excuses for it. Some people, they do things and they always blame someone else. Oh, if only you had known the way I was treated. I wouldn't have talked to that person that way. If only you had known what they said to me. That's why I said that. If only you knew the family I had. That's why I am the way I am. No excuse for sin. No excuse for sin. But Joseph suffered as a consequence of all of that. And ultimately, he did good. He did not deserve it. Yet he was called to suffer. Sometimes in life we're called to suffer. And Joseph was certainly called to suffer in this instance. But then we have Joseph's sanctification. The word sanctification, it means to go on and make progress. And Joseph, he made progress. Here he was in Egypt, sold as a slave. And what happened to him in that place, he became noticed as an honorable and honest young man. Chapter 39, verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of the master, his Egyptian. And you will see in verse 6 that he was goodly, and he was well favored. 
And God even blessed the Egyptian's house in verse 5 for Joseph's sake. Here we see his fruitfulness. You can't put a good man down. And although he was put down by his brothers, he carried on. He did not abandon God. He still lived for God where he was. And whenever Potiphar's wife came along and offered herself to Joseph, you will notice very pertinently that Joseph was one who refused to commit adultery because he was a man who went on, made progress for God. The Lord was with him. He could not sin against the Lord. And so you have Joseph's sanctification here and how he remained true to his principles no matter what. And that's the kind of spirit we need. We need that spirit that is willing always to be true to our principles wherever we are. And then we have the success. Here we have the success. Joseph ended up as the prime minister of Egypt. And the providence of God at at work in his life is amazing, and it's astonishing. The providence of God. Verse 23 of chapter 40 tells us, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. The chief butler forgot about Joseph. Joseph was good to the chief butler, and Joseph said, look, whenever you get back into your master's house amongst Pharaoh, you'll have influence there. Tell him about me. I've been treated wrongfully. I shouldn't be in prison. I'm in prison for something I haven't done. But the chief butler forgot Joseph. But then years went past, and Pharaoh had this dream, and he needed it interpreted, and suddenly Joseph came to the fore again, and he became the one who saved Egypt from famine and gave good and sound advice to Pharaoh. And he became the equivalent to the prime minister of Egypt, the success of Joseph. And God did not forget him. Everything that took place in his life, you know, you could trace the life of Joseph from his birth, the way his brothers treated him, a slave in Egypt, true to his principles, ending up in prison because of the lies of Potiphar's wife. He would not have been the one who would deliver Egypt from famine were it not for that providence. God was constantly molding him and shaping him for his ultimate work in life. And that's how it is for us all, brothers and sisters. God is at work in all of our lives He's molding us, and he's shaping us, and he's preparing us for something. We know not what, but Joseph remained close to God, and God was there with him all the while. One final thought, his, his surprises. I, I wonder just what was in Joseph's mind those years whenever he was working hard in Egypt, working hard, putting food past for the famine. Then the famine came, and he was in charge of opening up the storehouses, and the people were coming for food. 
what was in Joseph's mind? Well, I, I think we can say that Joseph, through all of that, he never forgot his past because God gave him sons, two sons. Chapter 41, verse 51, God gave him Manasseh. What does the name Manasseh mean? For God hath made me to forget all my toil in all my father's house. The bitterness of that horrible experience had faded, but he still didn't forget his father's house. He never forgot where he came from. And all of his elevation, he never forgot where he came from. The very worst characteristic we can have is to forget where we come from. God hath made me to forget all my toil in my father's house. God. He still was looking to God. And then you look at the name of Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. It was still the land of his affliction, but God had been good to him. So he was still thinking about God. But he could not have estimated or realized the way things were going to work out. The surprise of his brothers standing before him. And then the surprise that his father was still alive. The surprise that his brothers had changed because Judah was willing to surrender his life for Benjamin's. And that brought a gushing forth of tears from the heart of Joseph because he realized that these brothers were not quite the same as they were before. The surprise that the whole family came to Egypt and he delivered the whole family from famine. It wasn't just about saving Egypt. God saved Egypt so that God would save his people. God had his eye always upon this covenant family. But there were surprises for his brothers. The very fact that they met Joseph, the very fact that he was before them, the very fact that they dealt so cruelly with Joseph, and yet he was standing before them with the power to deal cruelly with them. But yet he did not do that, because whenever he revealed himself to them, he said, it wasn't you that sold me. God sent me here. That's how Joseph coped with what he faced in life. God was at work. God was in charge. An acceptance of the sovereignty of God. And whenever he died, he died in faith. If you come to the very closing verses of the book of Genesis, chapter 50, and the verse 25, And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him. He was put in a coffin in Egypt. It was the longest funeral in history. It took 400 years before Joseph was buried. They kept his bones, believing that one day they were going to come out of Egypt and go to the promised land. Joseph died in faith. What a life. One of the great giants of Scripture. Man who teaches us about Christ and the perfection of his life. Man who teaches us about the sovereignty and the providences of God. A man who teaches us that whatever our adversities or trials, God is still good. Man, he teaches us that God is molding us for something in the future. 
And let's be alive to his voice. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we come into your holy presence in the name of our Savior. We thank you for your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Write your word upon every heart. And may we be encouraged by this man, Joseph. For Christ's sake. Amen. Let us sing this closing hymn together. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way.